0: This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Philippians chapter 4. We have the heart for Scripture, the Bible's sufficient for life and godliness. It's clear in all its big ideas, as Rick Holland taught us last week. It's authoritative all its claims, it's necessary for us to know God's will and God's way. So let's think about that as we read this morning and look at the first three verses of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Maybe not what you would expect to read in the Bible. Therefore, verse 1, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Udiah and I entreat Syntyche To agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in The book of life. Last week, Rick titled his message, The Best of Men Are Men at Best. I thought of titling this one, The Best of Women Are Women at Best. But I decided against it. We'll call this True Companions. True Companions. Verse 1. Listen to how Paul says, my, my brothers, and the word includes sisters, my brothers and sisters, my joy, my crown, my beloved, verse 3, my true companion, my, my fellow workers. It's a very personal text, isn't it? Again, not what you might think you'd read about in the Bible when you turn to the Bible. It's very personal. It's about relationships. It's about people in a local church who genuinely and deeply love each other. Paul says, I love you. I long for you. And these verses are also about the seeds of division that we've been seeing hints about all through this letter. Seeds of division that are poised to ruin it all. There's been this dark cloud, and now it seems we discover why it's there. We had some neighbors this week come over to borrow toilet paper. I won't mention their names, very skillful. They send their cute little kids over. And I see Sherry giving them these massive rolls of toilet paper. And it, it brought back memories of the great toilet paper panic at the beginning of the pandemic. And I have to confess, I was, I was tempted to run out. No, you can't have our toilet paper. I started to panic I remember the panic. I was late to the party. I had no idea there was a problem until too late when I got to the store and I thought, man, there is no toilet paper here. Empty shelves. I never quite understood why this happened. So thanks to my neighbor pointing out my selfishness, it it came to mind and, and I decided to see if anyone had discovered that maybe there really was a good reason for this shortage. And there are some reasons, but the real problem was panic buying. I saw this article in the Washington Post, flushing out the true cause of the global toilet paper shortage amid coronavirus pandemic. When the history of the coronavirus pandemic is written, the vanishing of toilet paper might rank as just a footnote In an otherwise dark and frightening account, but it might be a very long, complex, and even wise footnote because toilet paper, or rather the lack of it, turns out to reveal a great deal about who we are and how we behave in a crisis. It showed David Cohen something about the nature of humanity. This is huge. As a checkout guy at a supermarket in Asheville, North Carolina, he saw people buying absurd amounts of toilet paper. But he also saw people reach the cashier's counter and decide suddenly to consider those who have less. Some people said, wait, I'm going to put these rolls back on the shelf so somebody else can get some. And he was happy to wait until those customers went back, returned some of the toilet paper. I I think though that we can all agree given all the empty shelves we saw, that wasn't the norm. Most people didn't return anything, nobody went back to the aisles, panic buying reigned and no concern for others. I agree with the author, toilet paper reveals who we are, it reveals how we behave in a crisis. It, it does reveal something about human nature. It, it does seem like, for the most part, the toilet paper shortage had to do with just selfishness. And I think we're wise to never underestimate the power of pride and selfishness and the damage it can do to a community. Don't underestimate the the difference humility and a desire to serve others can make. Paul said in chapter 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The problem in the church of Philippi is the same problem that every church faces because people are in the church. Selfish ambition, pride, self-exaltation. The problem is conflict and the danger is division in the church. And I believe the main point today is help one another. Help one another live in harmony. So this morning, let's consider our relationships. Verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. He's piling up these terms to communicate his love. Therefore points back to the reasons to obey Paul's commands. Here's motivation. For the commands he's going to give in verses 2 and 3, he's looking back, he's referring back to his, if you remember, his experience of the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He's referring to the tragic destiny of the enemies of the cross whose end is destruction. He's referring back to the present reality of our heavenly citizenship, our King Jesus, our expectation of His return, all of these are motives, compelling motives to stand firm thus in the Lord, agree with one another. Paul always bases his commands on these truths, objective truths about Christ and the grace It comes into our lives because of the gospel. He's piling up these relational terms in verse 1. He's repeatedly, repeatedly saying to his friends, I love you. I really, really love you because they're far away. He's homesick. He longs for them. He's bound in chains in Rome. And yet he says, you're my joy. Christ is his joy treasure. Christ is a firm foundation for joy. But joy fills his life also because of these friends. They're vital. They're important. We can't stand firm alone. We stand firm joined together in our community. So this this text suddenly fits in the Bible, doesn't it? And it makes sense. It's suddenly very important Might not be what we expect, but in in light of the value and the limitations of friends, we can see our need for the wisdom we find in these verses. So, what can we learn about our relationships in the church? What what can we learn? Well, number one, I would say our relationships are spiritual, spiritual. They are spiritual. Paul says in verse 3, talking about his fellow workers, that their names are in this book of life, the book of life. They are people who have been made alive in Christ. They were dead like you and me in in sin, but God in His mercy made them alive. They have eternal life in Christ. Their names are in this book of life. They, they are Paul's fellow workers. They've been raised up with Christ, and their names are in the book of life. And it, it affects their relationships. He says in chapter 3, verse 20, if you just look back a few verses, our citizenship is in heaven. That's the context. Our citizenship is in heaven. We talked about this. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's who these people are. That's his first readers. And it's also us. They're waiting for the Lord to come. And when he comes, he's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious resurrected body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We're citizens of this spiritual kingdom. Christ is our executive power. He's returning and we live in light of the day of his return. And so verse 1 Paul says we stand firm thus in the Lord. That's how we stand firm in the Lord. He, he commands these Philippians to steadfastly hold to all the truth and grace which are found in the Lord. He talks about this several times in this letter in Philippians He's written about brothers who are confident in the Lord. He says he hopes in the Lord. He commands the church, down in verse 4, to rejoice in the Lord. He said it before, rejoice in the Lord. And, And he entreats these two women to agree in the Lord. These these relationships are spiritual relationships. They're different. They're different because they are in the Lord, in the spirit of the risen Lord. These are friends who are united together in Christ. Any reasons to be encouraged are because of Christ, any strength they have is because of Him. Their desires are for Christ, they have true joy in all circumstances. Because together they are in the Lord. Look back in chapter 3, verse 8. Remember this significant verse. Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is what people in a church do. This is what spiritual people do together. Christ is is central. Our relationships are spiritual. The whole letter is addressed in verse 1, "...to all the saints." in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi. They are the holy ones, sanctified, set apart by Christ. Set apart as God's people, holy and beloved in, in, by the Lord. They're different. They're spiritual. And these relationships are a gift because they strengthen and they encourage us spiritually. So verse 3, yes, yes. I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. All these folks are spiritual people. Their names are in the book of life. We may not know their names from this letter. They may not be in Philippians. Some of them are, but not all of them. But they're in God's book, and that's what's most significant. Paul's friends, these fellow workers, they don't only share his work, his labor for the gospel, they share his life. What defines them is that they are in the Lord, no longer dead in sin. We can apply this in our local church, in our relationships, and our friendships. They must be characterized by spiritual fellowship. Spiritual fellowship. Eric Alexander is a Scottish pastor, retired, I think. He said this, a mutual sharing of Christ with each other in the company of God's people is not an optional extra in the Christian's life. It's not a luxury that is added, nor a kind of postgraduate class for the gifted fellowship belongs to the essence of who we are, of our new life. It's it's one of the means of grace that God has provided for you, for the upbuilding of His church and the glorifying of His name. And, And our text is just a vivid picture of spiritual fellowship. It's different. We have relationships outside the church. We have relationships with unbelievers. We have all kinds of family and friends that we have a relationship with and enjoy. But these relationships, they are different. They are special. They're important to our spiritual life. It's it's a sharing together of our common life in Christ. I've often told you about my dog. I got him when he was a puppy a few years ago. He's a Labrador retriever, and I wanted to train him before he tore the entire house down. So I read a lot of books about dog training and learned dogs can learn a lot of words. And so I've trained him, and he has learned a number of words. sit, down, stay. He's not very good at that one. Heel, walk. If I say truck, he can't wait to jump in my truck. If I say breakfast, he knows what that means. Dinner, treat, ball, look out. It's going to be a party. Leave it, fetch, bird. He loves that one. What he doesn't know is pray. Confess, worship, we don't have a spiritual relationship. I don't know about your dog, but my dog is not going to heaven. I don't enjoy fellowship with Longmire. Paul says, more importantly, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Not all our relationships are spiritual. Not not all of them have the potential that these relationships have. They're so critical. They're such a gift. And they have a goal. They're to strengthen you in the Lord, they're to strengthen you spiritually. We need one another. We need relationships with one another for this purpose. We strengthen one another. We, by sharing what God is doing in our lives. We share spiritual truth. We encourage one another. We, we counsel one another. We ask others to pray for us. We pray for them. We confess our sins to one another. We share with others our, our discouragements and joy. It, it's ripping our heart out to see the Lewins leave. Although I would say, man, he is just who we need in Washington, D.C. for this nation. But it rips our heart out because all of this has taken place with this family. That's a good sign. This kind of spiritual fellowship isn't optional if you want to grow. It isn't just a social activity. It's not watching the Super Bowl together. It's much more than that. Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews says, let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is a call to us to have spiritual fellowship with one another. We have community groups this week and I want to appeal to you to participate. You can be a member of our church and not be a member of a community group, but I want to entreat you. I want to urge you. I want to encourage you. The very purpose of these groups is that we would have spiritual fellowship. So we want to serve you by providing these. There'll be a table in the lobby today telling you, all about these groups giving you any information you want be some of our leaders back there so if you're not a part of a community group i encourage you to go back there and talk to those folks after the meeting number two another thing we learn: our relationships are in a local church they're in a local church these these verses are about people and relationships in a local church and that can be shocking to people because it's not always been the case, in, at least in my life, when I was in a local church and I would understand words like this in these verses. It was different. But these verses are about people and relationships in a local church, and I want our relationships to look like this. Certainly not all of their friends and their family were in the church, but these verses are about relationships in the church and we we should apply them in our local church they're they're characterized note a few things they're characterized by a special love for one another like we've seen paul piles up these words to talk about this special love but nevertheless there's conflict there's a conflict in the church special love but conflict Yet when there is conflict, other members help. The congregation comes together. They make agreeing in the Lord a priority. They want harmony and unity in the church. So verse 2, I entreat, Udiah and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also true companions. We don't know who that is, but Paul knows who he is. People in the church know it. true companion. Help these women. They've labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement, all these other fellow workers, their names are in the book of life. Help them. He, he mentions three people by name in regards to a conflict in this local church. Because we're not in heaven yet, and neither are the members of this church we're reading about. It's, it's encouraging because we have this tendency to think, the early church, oh man, nothing but perfection. Well, that's not the case. They, they are born from above. Their names are in the book of life, but they're not in heaven yet. These spiritual relationships have boots on the ground. They're in a local church, and there is conflict, and they need help, and we will have conflict, and we will need help. It's, you know, striking how, how Paul says, you know, my brothers whom I love, I long for, my joy, my crown, my beloved... I entreat Udiah and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the, I mean, it's, it goes from piling up these words, these relational terms to this blunt, pointed verse where two women are called out in a public letter. He just names names. He's never unwilling to do this, but he's reluctant to do it in his letters. You don't see it very often. And it's striking. We don't know who these women or it's fun to read all the speculation, but don't do it. We don't need to know who they are. Very common names. And they're having a conflict. And it explains why Paul has so often, we've talked about unity so much in this letter because of this. It's safe to assume their conflict is a chief concern of the apostle paul they're they're influential people in the church and it's not hard to imagine that people in this church they're going to want to pick a side i i'm with you Daya. oh yeah well i'm not it could lead to serious division And Paul's reference to them by name in a letter to be read to the whole church tells all the first readers and all of the readers in the 21st century this is a major reason for all his emphasis on unity, humility, and a servant's heart. So just note It's not unusual for personal conflicts to lead to division in the church. We need to take it serious. Conflict is like kudzu. It spreads and it's hard to eradicate. Paul says, I entreat. Notice that he repeats I entreat for each woman. He's being very careful not to take sides. I entreat you and I entreat you no favoritism. He cares very much about these women. He wants them to live in harmony. He wants them to agree. Remember in Philippians 2, he said, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That's exactly the same word as agree in the Lord. Having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. He told the whole church this. Now he points to them. Agree in the Lord. Have the right attitude toward each other by focusing on the fact, the truth, that you're united to Christ by faith. He wants them to live for the same thing, both of them. He wants them to have the same goal. To know Christ better. He wants the Lord to be the common bond. He wants them to have the mind of Christ. On the way to the cross, Christ didn't claim his own rights for his own advantage. He took the form of a servant. He humbled himself. And that's what he's calling these two women, the whole church and us, to do. He's repeatedly addressed selfish ambition. These women were rivals. Whatever the specific issues were, they couldn't resolve it. There was a conflict caused by pride, selfish ambition. They're they're pursuing their own interests, and they end up in a conflict. The way out is the mind of Christ. So Paul says to them, literally, think together. Have the same mind. Imagine. Imagine, you've got two friends. They're having a conflict. By definition, they don't think the same thing. One commentator, John Kitchen, says, the nature of human conflict is such that by definition, they don't see the issues in the same light. How then are they to suddenly think The same thing. Is one to simply give up what they think and adopt the mindset of the other? Is that what Paul intends? No. Remember he said in chapter 2, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Think like this. Have the mind of Christ. Each of you, set your mind on this. Agree together Because you're thinking the thoughts of Christ. Agreeing together means confessing your thinking is far distant from His thinking. Then then drop the thoughts that aren't His thoughts. Think His thoughts. We've got to deal with this personally. Personally. Are you in a conflict with someone this morning? Someone in the church, I entreat you as soon as possible. Take advantage of this moment. Go to them, please. Agree with them in the Lord. Don't go to point out what they've done. Don't don't go to point out their problems, humble yourself, consider their interests more important than your own. Get help if necessary. Don't don't let the sun go down on your conflict. Paul names this third individual this true companion, calls him to be a peacemaker. Some of you are being called to be peacemakers. He did not think they could solve this conflict on their own. So he calls out this, this true companion because he knows conflicts like a cancer in the body in the local church. But in the local church, there's help. There's a true companion We don't know who this person is. Best not to speculate. What's important to understand is his role. We need in the church people to have this role. This this person is influential. He's a co-worker with Paul. One commentator said he was born for this role. I know some of you in here, you're born for this role. You're really good at this. We need you. The church needs you. And note that these are, these are women that have labored side by side with, with Paul in the gospel. They shared his struggle in the midst of opposition. They've been active. They've not been standing back watching. They've been participating. And Paul ministered in a culture that minimize the dignity of women and even depersonalize them at times. And in that context, here he is boldly affirming the worth of women, expressing that he has gladly benefited from their vital ministry in the planning of this, this church. And think how different our culture is. There seems to be many more opportunities For women these days. At least in our country. This week President Biden. Nominated a woman to the Supreme Court. If confirmed. There will be four. Women on the Supreme Court. Out of nine justices. Women make up just over a quarter. Of all the members of the 117th Congress. Now you may not think that's. That's enough. But it's a 50% increase. Even over 10 years ago. The point is. That in our culture, it's very different than it was in Paul's culture. And Paul's no misogynist, if I pronounced that right. It's a new word I've just learned. Was I even close? No. How do you say it? That's what I said. I, I made a mistake. I asked Stephen before I came up. Just kidding. Just a joke. <laughs> Paul isn't someone who dislikes women, is he? From this verse, is he someone that despises women or is prejudiced against women? No. Neither are we. Neither is this church. Neither, is, neither are the people that try to apply Paul's teachings in their lives. They're not against women. It's a false accusation. Wednesday night, at our, we had our legacy groups and the lobby was full of women from this church and some from outside the church. Nothing can make us happier. What a wonderful night. How encouraging to this congregation. Women, women who are happy in the Lord. We are here as a congregation to help you succeed. We want you to succeed. These are women who love spiritual fellowship. They labor together with the men in this church. We're united together, serving the Lord. We believe Scripture teaches that men and women are different, but they fit together. They complement one another. That That is not what's going on around us, even in churches. But in this church, that's what we believe. We believe God has a design for men to lead and to serve and protect. And we believe that in the church and the home, women can thrive under this leadership. We are not misogynists. We love the women of this church, we're complementarians. Which we think is the biblical position. We can be falsely accused of being prejudiced against women. It's not true. It's a false accusation. And what was so encouraging Wednesday night was a, a, a lobby filled with happy women. And we respect you. And we, we affirm the work you do, just like Paul does. It's vital. Millions of women continue to minister in, in churches just like these women in these verses. Paul's reminding these first readers of their, their sacrifices, their significance in the church. They helped start the church. They helped to plant the church. You remember in Acts 16, when, when Paul and Silas first went to Philippi, They didn't go to the synagogue. They found a river where the Jewish people would go to pray. And they sat down and began speaking to the women. Lydia was the first convert. We don't know if these two women were there, but shortly thereafter, they came and they were part of the church plant. And now they have a long and distinguished history. Our relationships are in a local church. And we learn all these things from that verse, from these verses, to help us in our local church. Finally, another thing we learn from these verses is our relationships encourage an eternal perspective. Note note the context. Back in chapter 3, verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example of, you have in us, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. It's a reference to eternity. And then down in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body so we can live forever forever. Names that are written, verse 3, in the book of life. Paul's turning their attention. In the context of talking about their relationships, he just has this focus on eternity. These are eternal relationships. They're valuable. They're important. Our relationships encourage this eternal perspective in the midst of a culture that does not want to talk about death, in in the midst of a culture that does not have, that violently doesn't have an eternal perspective. And that's why these relationships in the context of a local church are so critical. They remind us of truth. The truth is you have a soul, and you're going to live for eternity. Your end is either going to be destruction or everlasting life. Your name is either in the book of life or it is not in the book of life. That's the truth. And our relationships encourage. In the church, they encourage this eternal perspective. One of our pastors, Zach, was telling me about a time he was in college just Finishing up college, he's with his aunts who were older and they went to their graveyard, their family graveyard. I'm sure all of you do that. You know, go out, hang out the family graveyard. He was a senior in college, about to graduate, and while he was there working, his, his aunts came up to him and started asking him about college. and He was talking about how quickly it had gone, how quickly his four years in college had gone. And, and his two aunts, he told me, they, they laughed at him, grabbed his elbow and said, honey, it's going to get worse. The, the older you get, the years just fly by. And all the old people said, amen. And he said at that moment, he was very affected. He, he, was, he, he was sobered. He was kind of thinking about it about how fast it, it went, how fast it had gone, and their comments to him weren't exactly encouraging. He said, right at that time, his dad came up from behind him, slapped him on the back, said, Hey, Zach, let me show you where you're going to be buried. He <laughs> said so he walked over, looked at the spot, and said, won't be long till til be, I'll be there. Right there, they'll be putting me in that, yeah. Maybe we should all go to the graveyard today and find our gravesite. Paul's thinking about eternity. He calls them his crown. They are his crown. This this crown that the Lord gives us on that day when we see him face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. It's an eternal perspective. So, in light of eternity, let's help one another. Let's help one another live in harmony. Pray with me. Father, thank you for our local church. We're so grateful, Lord, for all the grace we enjoy and experience. And this morning, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for instruction. We thank you for wisdom. Thanks for bringing us together. And we just pray, Lord, that even as we walk through and and we finish up this letter to Philippians, that it would bear the fruit you desire in our congregation, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com. Or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.